Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 100, Ready on the Firing Line, TBI Ballistics Results. Yes, folks, I know y'all have been waiting with bated breath for this episode here so we can see what TBI has to say about the firearms. Some of the results from TBI will verify what officers stated when they were given statements to security squad. So this will be a excellent episode here. Alright folks, let's jump right into it. Alright, firearms identification results. Examination of exhibits 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 revealed them all to be in operating condition with the safety features functioning. Now we look at the exhibit chart, you can see that Exhibit 1 is going to be TAC Officer Summers M16. Number 2 is going to be Rutherford's M16. Exhibit 3 is going to be Hubbard's M16. Exhibit 4 is Watson's M16. Then we've got McNair at number five, his Remington 12-gauge shotgun. Exhibit six is going to be Norton Smith & Wesson. That's a Model 10, the old blue steel 38 caliber revolver. Then you got Lieutenant Summers with a Model 10 38 caliber revolver. And if you remember, that's the one he borrowed from Tommy Turner. Then you got Russ Aiken, his Model 10, 38 caliber revolver. Exhibit 9 is Ray Swill's Model 10. Bobby Hester's exhibit is number 10. That's also, again, a Model 10, 38 caliber revolver. And then Exhibit 11, that's going to be a Another shotgun, Remington 870 12-gauge pump, and that's going to be Officer Ray's shotgun. So TBI is saying all the guns function as they're supposed to. Now the first exhibit they cover is number 38, and all they have to say about it is it revealed to be consistent with a lead bullet core. Now, this next one here, this is pretty significant stuff here. The area around the holes in exhibits 47B, 47B is the t-shirt worn by Andrew Houston. 47C, which is the jacket worn by Andrew Houston. 48A, which is the jacket worn by Larnell Sanders. 48B is the sweater worn by Larnell Sanders. 49B is the sweater worn by Earl Thomas. 50A, 
long sleeve shirt worn by Lindbergh Sanders. 52C, which are the blue jeans worn by Michael Coleman. And then 61, which is the Kevlar entry vest that was worn during the entry by the TAC unit. Now, according to TBI, all the holes were microscopically examined and processed chemically for the presence of gunshot residue, and none were found. Now, what that tells you is none of the holes caused by bullets, none of those rounds were fired from a close proximity within two or three feet. And the gunshot residue, that's what comes out of the barrel of the gun. I'm not a ballistics guy. All I can tell you about guns is I know which end the bullet comes out of. But that does tell you that none of these gunshot wounds suffered by any of the suspects were close contact wounds. They weren't close. And when I say they weren't close, they weren't within two or three feet. You're talking more in the range of four or five feet or greater distance, which would seem to corroborate what the officers said in their statements, the TAC officers. None of the TAC officers uh, ever talked about any up-close shooting, and this right here would verify it. Also shows that uh, there's no gunshot residue on the vest, that was worn, and I believe that was worn by Rutherford, if I'm not mistaken, when he got hit crossing the um, den. Remember, and got knocked down. Also shows that wasn't up close. And obviously, if you were to find gunshot residue on his entry vest, then that would indicate that shot came from up close. Well, if the suspect's close enough to leave gunshot residue on the vest, then that means the officer was up close, which would tend to maybe make you question the shooting if, uh, if there were any close contact shooting and no one actually acknowledged it in their statements. This also takes care of any... The rumors that are always out there that uh, the attack officers just lined up the suspects against the wall and shot them. We all have seen the pictures of that bedroom, at least what pictures I have, and you've seen the diagrams. They give the dimensions. If they had lined them up on the wall and shot them, then you'd have gunshot residue on all of them because it's just too confined and too close in there. Okay, we've got exhibits 62A through D are too mutilated for comparison purposes. 62, I'm sorry. Exhibits 62A through D are too mutilated for comparison purposes. 
62A is a lead fragment, 62B is a lead fragment, 62C is one fired bullet, 62D is one fired bullet. So they're too badly damaged for TBI to determine anything about the bullet. 60, exhibit 63A and 63B are too mutilated for comparison purposes. 63A is a bullet fragment. 63B is a metal jacket fragment. Now 64A bears the same class characteristics as test bullets from exhibits 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, exhibits 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all M16 rifles. So TBI can tell you that that's definitely an M16 metal jacket, but that's as close as they can get. They can't tell you which one of the rifles it was. Now, 64B... 64C and 64D are too mutilated for comparison purposes. 64B is one fired metal jacket. 64C is a metal jacket fragment. 64D is a metal jacket fragment. So all they can say about that is they're, they're probably from an M16, but they can't even say that and certainly not tell what gun it was fired from. Now, 65A, shot shell wad and pellets. Now, according to TBI, they can tell you that it's a plastic 12-gauge shot shell wad, a 12-gauge fiber shot shell wad, and seven pellets consistent with the size and weight specifications of alt or double-aught buckshot. Now, the TAC unit, Uniform Patrol, everybody's firing double-aught buck, and that's nine pellets, so they recovered seven on this one exhibit, but that's all they can tell you about wadding and the content. 5B is too mutilated for comparison purposes. That's metal jacket fragments and lead fragments. So that's probably an M16. 66A is too mutilated for comparison purposes. Uh, 66B is a metal jacket fragments and lead fragments. 66B was fired through the barrel of exhibit number 7. So that was from Lieutenant Summers, the pistol that he fired. Which, if you recall, Lieutenant Summers busted out the kitchen window and fired rounds. And we're pretty sure that his round struck home. So I'm Pretty sure that that bullet probably came out of one of the suspects. 
metal jacket fragments and leg fragments to mutilate it for comparison purposes. Exhibit 68A and B are to mutilate it for comparison purposes. That's metal jacket fragments and lead fragments and then one fired Simony jacket bullet. That Simony jacket would be a 38. Exhibit 69A, one fired Simony jacket bullet. Same class characteristics as test bullets from Exhibit 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So they're telling you it's a 38. Exhibit 69B contains three fired 223 cartridge cases, two of which were fired in Exhibit 2. And Exhibit 2 is going to be Rutherford's M16. And one which bears insignificant markings for comparison purposes. So now it, it doesn't say exactly what part of the house that was recovered from, at least not on this paperwork, but you could actually go back and look at the statement of that Rutherford gave, see what parts of the house he said he was in, and that's probably one of his rounds that he fired. So I guess from that you could... If you compare the statement to where those rounds were recovered, you could see if he was accurate in his movements in the house. Now, Exhibit 70A was fired from Exhibit 5, and Exhibit 5 was K.K. McNair's 12-gauge shotgun. Now, 70A is a Remington Peters 12-gauge double-lock buck shot shell case. So what they did was they just, that's a spent casing from the shotgun. So it's the shot shell, the part that holds the buck shot and the wadding. And so they were able to compare that to the markings from his shotgun and they can tell that that round was ejected from his shotgun and if you go back and you compare to where that shot shell that shotgun casing was recovered from then it would tell you where he was at least at one time in the house see if that would line up to where he said he was going where he had where he had been alright now that's all we're going to do on this episode I don't want to try to jam it all in in one of them so we're going to we'll probably stop right here and we'll do the rest of it on the next episode now, I know you're some of you are jumping up and down going, J.R., where's the smoking gun? Well, the most significant thing I get out of this episode that I, that I as an investigator would be interested in 
was the examination of the bullet holes in the clothing worn by the suspects. Because when I see that there's no gunshot residue on the clothing, that tells me that there were no up-close shots. Because if you start looking at gunshot residue and And that tells you that there probably wasn't uh, an execution-style shooting inside the house. That's what that tells me. That would corroborate what they said in their statements about what happened. Hi, folks. We've done enough damage for this episode. We will come back in a week or so and we will finish up with the ballistics and then we're going to move on to uh, a rather large memo written by the TAC unit from their supervisors, which should be of great interest since we all know they were very unhappy with how things were conducted. Folks, I appreciate you and I will see you down the road.